wouldn't forget that. So last week we started to talk about Advent and uh, the Lord coming, and we saw that uh, one of the names that was assigned to him was Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we suggested that really Christmas is about God coming close to us, right? Uh, The ability, because of Christ, to do life with God. And, um, and we also saw that um, when we read through the Christmas account, most of the people involved, instead of uh, being excited about the fact that God's coming close to us, feared the idea of God coming close. And I suggested to you that still today, it seems to me, that people fear the idea of God actually coming close to us. And so we create a lot of distractions that... Uh, keeps the Lord at arm's length. You know, uh, we just sang, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. That's where God wants to live, inside of us, in our hearts. Uh, But we need to make room uh, for him to be able to come that close to us. And so there's been uh, kind of a mystery that has gone on for uh, generations. Uh, Laura mentioned this. In in the book of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 26, Um, we read that there's been this mystery uh, since the beginning of time that since Christ has been revealed, a mystery in the Bible is kind of a secret, you know, that God has kept until that time arrives when God decides uh, to reveal it. And so in Colossians chapter 1, for example, uh, the Apostle Paul writes to this church, and, and look what he says. He says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? What's the secret that God has hidden from generation to generation that now has been made known? Here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. No longer is God distant. No longer does God just you know, make announcements and commands from far away. But Christ has come so that by his spirit, he might actually live inside of us. And when he does that, he begins this process that the Bible calls discipleship, which is this process of changing us back uh, to what we were originally created to be, to be like Christ, who is in fact God with us, because why? We were made in the image and the likeness of God originally. That was God's intent. And so this mystery has now been revealed uh, since Christmas, living on this side of Christmas, and the tremendous benefit that that is to us. Uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, Glory is kind of a churchy word, right? I mean, we don't really use it too much outside of church, but it just means looking good. Looking good. You know, if you're going to glorify God, what do you do? You make him look good. You come to church, you sing praises to his name. You obey what he says, and people see you doing what he says, contrary to kind of the way the world is going, and they say, wow, this God looks pretty good. You know, my neighbor's a better person than I am, right? Because they're Christians. I see them get up and they get in their car and they go to church and they have people over to their house and they're loving and they reach out and they go first and they give gifts and they, you know, they're just different. 
Well, why is that? Well, because this mystery of Christ actually living in us by his spirit is changing us from the inside out. And uh, Paul is saying here that Christ in you is the hope of you looking good. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Someday, the Bible says, the theologians call it glorification. When we get to heaven, we will see Christ face to face and we'll become like him. We'll be like him. We'll be glorified. We'll be looking good. In the meantime, we're in this process, right? We're in this process uh, towards that whole um, sanctification process. But every time you think about the word glory, just think something that is looking good, something that's praiseworthy, something that's commendable. Um, We glorify God by worshiping him and honoring him and bragging on him and obeying him. So when the spirit of Christ gets inside of you, when this mystery becomes a reality in our own lives, uh, then this change begins to happen. Uh, Paul says the same thing in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Again, he talks about it as a mystery. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4 to 6, here's how he puts it. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Uh, This mystery is that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people in the world, the Gentiles uh, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Uh, back to chapter 2 and verse 11. Therefore, remember, this is addressed especially to people who are non-Jewish people. And again, think about this. Christmas is about God wanting to get close to us, okay? And so look how Paul writes this. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision uh, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at this at that time separated, distant, way gone. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated, Gentiles. You were alienated, okay, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You know, if you read through the Old Testament, the promises God made to his people, his chosen people, and so forth. And so what's the consequence of that? He's talking about us, most of us, right, who are non-Jewish people. We were alienated, separated, strangers to the covenants. And look, next verse, next words, having no hope. Imagine, the other side of Christmas, Gentile people having no hope. No way to reconcile with God. No way to get out from underneath what God calls all through the scriptures the day of the Lord that's coming when God will vent his judgment on everything that's wrong and everybody that's wrong in the world that hasn't chosen to embrace Jesus Christ as their savior from that judgment. We were without hope, without God in the world. That's where we were until Christmas happened. And then all of us who are non-Christian people, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You and I, Gentile people, after all those years where God's chosen people were the focus of his attention and the deposit of his uh, promises and so forth, you and I have been brought near to God 
through the blood of Christ, through the good news of the gospel, we've been able to be reconciled to him. Um, We now have hope in the person of Christ, as we talked about last week. Jesus is, in fact, uh, called uh, the Prince of Peace. We not only have hope, but we have peace. We have peace with God, you know, and uh, peace with God results in peace inside of ourselves, peace with ourselves. And when we're at peace with ourselves, there's the possibility of being at peace with other people. And then beyond that even, there's a ministry that Jesus said, hey, blessed are the peacemakers, people who get involved in uh, conflict and uh, seek to bring people together and be peacemakers. And so I would like to invite you to think with me a little bit about peace this morning. Um, I think there's an ultimate peace that's down the road, a future peace uh, that's kind of ultimate, a future reality, and then there's an immediate peace that I believe God intends for us to live with. Uh, ultimately, peace on earth, goodwill to men, you know, uh, hasn't really happened yet, right? It's associated in the Bible with the second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes back, uh, there's a, uh, I, I know that people have different uh, opinions about this, but there's a time coming. I, there's many places in the Bible that we could read from to talk about this. I just chose a couple of verses from Isaiah. I think Isaiah talks about this time when Christ comes back like this in uh, Isaiah chapter 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days, right? Kind of at the end of time as we know it. Uh, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations will flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Imagine this, right? Imagine Jerusalem. Think about what Jerusalem is like today. And think about a time when Christ comes back and rules over the world from Jerusalem. And all the nations are coming to Jerusalem to find out about our God, the God that we are being exposed to as we study the scriptures and as we uh, continue to allow the Spirit to impress upon us his truth and so forth. And then uh, verse 4 says, He shall judge between the nations, okay, and shall decide disputes for many peoples, And they shall beat their swords or their nukes into plowshares or John Deere's, right? That's what's going to be. And their spears into pruning hooks, you know, so they can go fishing. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I'd like to live in a world like that. I don't believe it can happen unless Jesus comes back and makes it happen. And uh, so it's called the millennial kingdom, you know. Uh, it's not talked a whole lot about in the scriptures, but in the book of Revelation, uh, six times in six verses, it talks about this thousand-year period of time when Christ will reign. And, uh, and there's many places. Uh, Psalm 2, which was read for us this morning, I think, talks about God has installed his king, right? And, you know, when people fight and all this, the God of heaven laughs that ver- uh, that Psalm says, Psalm 2. Uh, be, and, and they want to throw off the bonds that God, you know, they, they think it's a chain, you know, and they want to throw off. And the world wants nothing to do with Christ 
God in the flesh coming close to us. We want to keep him at a distance. We want to manage him. We want to create other religions that kind of manage him and allow us to be in control. Every religion except for Christianity is about what I do to get right with God. Christianity is about what God has done to enable us to to have peace with God, to be reconciled to God, to be redeemed uh, by God. And so there's this ultimate uh, peace, this ultimate reality, but... um, Also, I think there is this present uh, uh, peace that God desires for us to live with. Um, It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, we are waiting for that ultimate, anticipating the future. Uh, It's going to be a great time. I mean, it's going to be fabulous. And we have that hope rooted in us, and we have this peace. But right now, our world really isn't a very peaceful place, and... um, You know, the angel in the Christmas story came and said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. Peace on earth. And uh, we all get Christmas cards that talk about this. And, and, you know, if you don't understand the scriptures, then you're like, well, what happened? Where's the peace on earth? You know, what Jesus failed. You know, why should I trust what God is telling me in his word and so forth? And um, the message that God sent at Christmas I think could be summarized, and uh, in Acts uh, chapter 10, Peter is preaching, and um, Peter opens his mouth, the, Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, Peter opens his mouth and he says this, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Now, if you're not you know, in the kingdom of God, and if you're holding Jesus at a distance, uh, the fact that God shows no partiality is really good news, right? This is, this is great, you know? And, uh, but if you're a believer and you think that you're special somehow and so on and so forth, well, you're not. Uh, you know, uh, God holds no partiality. Now, we talk a lot in our culture about being partial towards people and impartial and on the basis of their color of their skin or their nationality or whatever, So look, this is just great what Peter says. Truly, I understand God shows no partiality. Okay, we're all, uh, if we would use the Constitution, created equal. We all have equal significance before God. I don't think being created equal means that we're all the same, right? It all means that we're equal before God. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace. Started with Israel. Good news of peace. The gospel of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. He's going to be the Lord of all nations, of all, you know, this ultimate peace that's going to come upon the earth. So there's no partiality with him. Um, it's, an, it's significant, I think, that we trace that line of thinking all the way through the scriptures. Okay, but Jesus, when he was ready to leave the earth, uh, Jesus, in John chapter 14, um, do you remember, says uh, something very significant about peace. He says this, uh, peace I leave with you. He's about to leave the earth 
He's been here, you know, for 30-some years. He's ministered for three years, built into his disciples. Uh, and then he says, I'm leaving. Peace, I'm going to leave with you, okay? And then he says this. He says, um, not as the world gives peace, not as the world gives peace do I give to you, uh, but I'm going to leave you with my peace. So he's saying there's two kinds of peace. There's two different kinds of peace. There's a peace that comes from letting Jesus into our hearts, letting God come close to us in the person of Jesus, building a relationship with him. And then there's a peace that we try to suck out of the world, you know, and that we try uh, in every way. And Jesus says, I don't leave you the peace that's like the world's peace. I'm leaving you with my peace. And then he says this, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. So two kinds of peace. Uh, Peace, by the way, the Greek word means to bind together uh, something that's been broken or disjointed. What is peace? Peace is to bring together something that's been broken or out of joint, uh, dislodged. And that's what the message of Christmas, it's why it's so great. The message of Christmas is that you and I and God, our relationship has been severed, it's been broken, it's been disjointed, right? And that God has sent Jesus to bring it back together again, to reconcile us, to make peace between us. And the wonderful thing is that, you know, God goes first. God makes the first move. You ever have a fight with somebody, your spouse or somebody, and you know, you're mad at each other and you get the silent treatment for a while and somebody's got to go first. You know what? God always goes first. God says, I know what I'm going to do to those Gentiles. I'm going to send my son uh, as a human being to get close to them and to draw them to myself. Uh, In Jesus, God is offering to bind together our broken relationship, to heal it, to redeem it, Uh, to come close to enable us to do life with God once again. And in Jesus, you know, our peace comes directly from whom the Bible calls Jehovah Shalom, which is just, you know, uh, the God of peace. Uh, Our peace comes directly as a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus. It's a gift that he gives us, a spiritual gift. The peace the world gives, if you think about it, the peace the world gives, a couple things, Number one, you have to come up with it yourself. You have to go after it. You have to try to generate peace on your own. And um, it's always temporary. It only only lasts for a while. And then it depends on circumstances over which you don't have any control. If I look for peace to come into my life from the world, it's different than the kind of peace that uh, God offers me through Christ. Uh, Sometimes I call it the, uh, you know, if onlys, right? Uh, The world's peace depends on, you know, if I go on an interview, saying the right things. And uh, the world's peace sort of depends on doing the right things uh, to be able to get what I want. And uh, and then we make a lot of compromises uh, to be able to do that or having the right things, called the if onlys, right? If only I could drive the right car, I'd have peace. You know, if only I could uh, have the right job. Or if only I could quit my job, I'd have peace, right? Um, And so sometimes people will say, you know, if only I could have a different spouse, I'd have peace. And on and on it goes. It's the if onlys. 
And uh, really, uh, the peace that God gives to us through Jesus comes uh, directly from God, from Jehovah Shalom, uh, the peace of God. And then um, you'll notice here that Jesus also said this. He said, like, hey, you know what? The biggest threat to peace in your life, he says, is this. And it's just what happened at Christmas to all the players. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Remember how many people uh, associated with the Christmas story were troubled by God coming close and saying that he was going to send Jesus and, and, and so on? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Here's the biggest threat to peace in our life. When fear is allowed to take the place of faith. When we don't really believe that God, you know, most of us grow up with an inferiority complex or whatever, and then some guy like me stands up in front of you and says, hey, listen, the God of the universe, the creator of mankind, wants to be close to you. And you say, Pfft. That couldn't be true. If he really knew me, there's no way he would want to be that close to me. I tell you, you know, um, this church is looking for, our church is looking for a new pastor. And uh, in John 15, Jesus said a wonderful, you know, the word pastor just means servant. It's not really a great thing. It just means servant. That's all it means. Uh, a pastor is a servant of God and serves people. It's really not, you know, like, oh, the pastor, he's really up here. No, 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 no. He's down here serving. That's his job. However, in John chapter 15, Jesus, it spoke to me, uh, I don't know, somewhere along the line in my past, uh, Jesus says, hey, he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I want to get into your heart. I want to be your friend. I wonder how many people this morning would say, Jesus is my friend. And you know, we're growing deeper as the years go by. He's my friend. I know, you know, he's God, yes. He's sovereign, yes. He's, you know, perfect. He has no sin, yes, 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 yes. But guess what? He wants to be my friend. No longer do I call you servants, he says. And then he says, you know why? Because everything my father has made known to me, I'm making known to you. I don't have any secrets. Everything my father, that's what friendship, friendship is like, pff, this is who I am, that's it, period. Sorry, you know, you get what there is, and that's it. And Jesus says, I want to be your friend. I want to come close. Um, the problem with the peace that the world gives is that there are many things over which we have no control, right? Um, my race, my nationality, my, who my parents were, my size, am I short, am I tall? You know, am I bald like John, or do I still have hair? You know, uh, our looks, our gifts, our IQ. There's a lot of things we don't have any control over, but you know what? There's one thing we do have control over, it's our thoughts. The Bible says we choose our thoughts. We choose how we want to think. A famous passage uh, back in Philippians when Paul wrote to that church, one of the happier letters in the uh, New Testament. And Paul writes to this church in, in Philippians, and uh, uh, he says, look, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Choose to think about those things. Think about the people you know. I bet there's a negative and a positive side to everybody you know. Think about the positive side. It's your choice. 
It's easy to be negative, right? It's natural. It just flows. It just happens. We notice it about ourselves, about others, and all the rest of it. But there's a positive side, and and you have a choice. You can choose your own thoughts. Um, I think Jesus said, you know, in that John 14, 27, he said the biggest threat to experiencing God's peace is fear. Let not your hearts be troubled. And... um, one of the things that uh, I think is uh, one of the pivotal, uh, well, it's in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, and it's pivotal. You know, the first part of all Paul's letters are theological truths, and the second part of Paul's letters is the application of because this is true, then this is all how we ought to live. And in Romans 12 is the transition from the doctrinal into the practical, and the first thing he says, he says, be transformed, change your life, by the renewal of your mind, by choosing what you think, by embracing what you think. Choose. It's your choice. There's a lot of things about your life you can't change. But you can choose how to think. And the Bible says you will actually be transformed. Your whole life changes if you change the way you think and allow the Spirit of God to begin to influence the way we think. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of the truths is that we, we simply don't have the power to create our own peace. Remember, Jesus says two kind of peace, peace that comes from God and peace that people try to generate within themselves. We don't have the power to create our own peace. We can't overcome the world by ourselves. We need help. We need guidance. We need Christmas. We need God to come close. Faith is the victory, the Bible says, that overcomes the world. Jesus said, I promise you, you're going to have tribulation in this life. Stuff's going to come at you that you don't like. Stuff's going to come at you that's going to upset your apple cart. You know? I promise it. It's going to happen. And um, we don't have the power to overcome all of that stuff. And that's why one of the reasons Christ came. And he came to be our savior. But you know the story, right? He was killed by the religious leaders of his day and the people of his day. Uh, who were intimidated by him and who felt, you know, jealous because he was gaining a following and so forth. And, and so they killed him. But then Jesus did something that no other person has ever done. He defeated death. He defeated death. The Bible calls it our last enemy, death. And Jesus came and he defeated death on our behalf and set us free. And so when we invite Jesus into our lives, uh, again, there's many different ways the Bible describes this, but in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul says, this is what happens. When you allow Christmas, when you allow Jesus to actually come close and make room in your heart, okay? Uh, here's how the Bible talks about it in um, Verse 18, it says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Jesus really is the light of the world. And so if you invite the light of the world into your heart, you know, the Bible talks about us having four eyes, right? We got two in our head and two in our heart. But our hearts are darkened by sin and by being separated from God. But if you invite Jesus, the light of the world, to come into your heart, you make space for him. You invite him into your space. And uh, you allow Jesus, here's what happens. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you can know. Uh, The word for know in the Greek language is gnosko. And it always refers to not just knowledge, but experience. Right? Gnosko means experience, not just knowledge. So that you can know, so that you can experience. If I say to you, hey, do you guys know about Ferris Acres? 
right? And if you say to me, oh, yeah, it's that farm over there in Newtown. I said, no, you don't know about Forest Acres. You got to eat the ice cream. Then you'll know. You'll experience Ferris Acres. And that's how the Bible uses the word no. So the Bible says when Jesus comes close to us and his spirit gets inside of us and he enlightens our heart, three things are going to happen to you. They're going to changes that's going to happen to you. Three things. He says, so that you may know, number one, what is the hope? We talked about this last week. What, what is the hope to which he has called you? All of a sudden, you and I have a future. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, you can't even imagine all that God has prepared for you, for those who love him. You can't even imagine it. And then the next verse, and, and we quote that a lot, but then the next verse says, but by his spirit, he's revealing to you your future. You have a future. You're going to get a new body. You're going to live in a new place. You're going to have a new heavens, a new earth. You're going to, I mean, you just read what the Bible promises. No more crying, no more tears, no death. No, uh, we have a future. Uh, and so Paul says, look, you let Christ get into you. That's number one. You're going to have, understand the hope to which he's called you. Number two, you're going to understand the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You and I are incredibly rich. When you think about all that we inherit from being related and, and being brothers with Christ and that the whole universe is God's, he created it, and that he's entrusting it to his son and his son is inviting us into that inheritance, you're incredibly rich. Stop whining. Really, I mean, we are incredibly rich. But the third thing that happens and uh, this is uh, why I'm reading this particular text in verse 19. The third thing is the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, just stop and think a minute. If you feel powerless, you know, the world comes at us, stuff overwhelms us, we're blown away, we're upset, we're angry, we're hurt, we're frustrated, whatever. Think about this. God says, no, you know, if you invite this Jesus of Christmas into your heart, he will enlighten you, and the very same power that brought Jesus up from the dead is at work in you. That's incredible when you think about it. How much power do you think it took to overcome death? Quite a bit, I think. And then, you know, you kind of love this. In, in Ephesians 3.20, Paul says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that's at work within us, he says. Right? Do exceeding abundantly beyond. If you're sitting there and you're like, oh, well, you know, I wish I could serve God, you know, but I don't have this and I don't have that and poor me and yada, yada. Listen, the very, if, if you let Christ into your heart in a deeper, at a deeper level, I mean, it, it's incredible. The power shows up. You say, oh, well, you know, I was raised this way and I have a past and I have these sins in my past and yada, yada. Verse 16, Paul says, 
according to the riches of his glory that he may grant to you to be strengthened with power, listen, through his spirit in your inner being. His spirit in your inner being. See, the transformation starts on the inside when God is at it. And uh, we, uh, we, we simply need Jesus. He came to be our Savior. Uh, and he, if we allow him into our space and allow him to come close, which is Christmas is all about, um, he does change us from the inside out according to the power that's at work within us. Uh, let me just move quick here. Once we establish peace with God, uh, then I think we can be at peace with ourselves. Uh, the peace of God overflows into our life. If we believe what God says about us and he starts us in this process, you know, at Christmas, um, one of the things we start to do is look for porch pilots, right? I mean, uh, porch pirates. Uh, they steal packages off your front porch, right? You see that. Well, there are such things as peace pirates that steal our peace. You know, God gives it to us, and then there are these peace uh, uh, pirates that try to steal uh, the peace. And maybe the most common peace pirate, as we talk about it uh, in our culture, is anxiety or worry, okay? And uh, the Greek word for anxiety is distracted. I don't know if you knew that, but anxiety is being distracted or uh, uncertain. I think it means being distracted in the present or uncertain about the future, it creates anxiety. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. And um, in the present, uh, we're distracted by all kinds of things that uh, come our way. And so anxiety happens, right, when something unwanted shows up in our lives. And it's uh, our response to something undesired or something that creates a threat to us or that makes us feel uncertain about the future and so forth. And so, again, many of you are familiar with this. We go back to uh, Philippians Chapter 4, and uh, the Bible says, look, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is close. It's Christmas. He came all the way from heaven to be close to us, right? The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. The Lord's pretty powerful, and he's right next to you. He's at hand. He's your friend. He's not just the Savior. He's a Savior who's a friend, who wants to be intimate with you. Uh, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which what? Passes all understanding. This isn't reasonable. Uh, when people go through some trials and they have peace about it, uh, it's beyond reasoning. It's shalom. It's, it's the peace of God. It comes from a deeper place. And so when you really think about it, um, we realize that anxiety happens because of the way we respond to the situations that come into our life. Um, the truth is, we choose how to respond. We choose how to think about what happens. Uh, we choose how we think based on what we really believe. And so it's not my situation that causes me anxiety. It's my response to the situation. Um, I've had times in my life where I've been, uh, I would say, uh, anxious, you know, and uh, frustrated or troubled or something, and I blamed others for it. I said, oh, that guy stole my peace, treated me wrong. And I realized, you know, it's, nobody can steal your peace. Stuff comes, and you choose how you respond to what happens. Do you allow the Prince of Peace 
to come into our hearts in such a way that it makes that huge difference in our lives. Uh, I didn't get my peace stolen. I gave it up too easily. And Paul says, look, there's a peace available when it comes from Jehovah Shalom that is beyond reasoning, a peace that passes my understanding. All right, I'll close with this. I know I'm done. Uh, For many of us, God's peace seems to come and go. Right? I mean, at times we have this peace of God is absolutely wonderful and we want to stay there. Maybe you go on a retreat and you kind of have a mountaintop experience and then you come home and then reality sets in again and, you know, the peace evaporates and, and so on and so forth. So have you ever been out in the ocean when a storm comes up <clears throat> and, um, you know, the winds start to come up and the clouds off in the distance are dark and you see them coming your way? And the wind picks up 50, 60, 70 miles an hour, you know, and the waves are starting to, you know, be restless and the rain actually hurts when it's hitting your skin, lightning, thunder, and so forth. And uh, it it feels like as you're going over the waves, the boat's going to just come apart, right? And uh, you know what? Just 100 feet below you, when you're in the middle of that storm, there's total peace, total calm. Like, not even a ripple, no noise. Uh, there's a total peace down there. And I want to suggest to you this morning that that's the way it is with God's peace. Yeah, you're going to have all kinds of turmoil on the surface. Jesus promised that. But down below, when you allow Jesus to move into your heart and enlighten us with his truth and by his spirit in the inner person, there is a eventually there's a welling up of this supernatural kind of peace that overtakes us after we get over, you know, all the storms in life come to pass. None of them come to stay. Have you noticed? Everything in the Bible comes to pass. Every, it's, I say the trials that come into our life are for a reason and a season. They don't last forever. We have this great future in front of us. And I learned this, you know, uh, if you get caught in a storm and you're in a boat, you're supposed to drop the anchor down to where it's calm. Not all the way down to the bottom, but because you're going like this, but you drop it halfway down and, and, and it sinks down into where there's calm and it stables the boat. We didn't do that. We try to outrun the storm. So we're going over waves and I'm thinking, I'm holding on to the boat for dear life, but I'm thinking the boat's going to fall apart in a minute here. We're not supposed to do that. We're not trying to outrun the storms. We, in fact, can embrace the storms knowing that there's a peace underneath that we can drop our anchors into. If we had more time, we could go to the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about uh, the anchor of our souls. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, peace. It's such a gift. We live in such a tumultuous world. Those of us who, uh, you know, kind of watch the news are aware that all around us, there's all kinds of issues all the time. But uh, those of us who belong to you and who read your word realize there are solutions to all those issues and there's a way to navigate through life, Father, when you are with us in Christ and when your spirit indwells our spirit in our inner being, there's a peace, a peace that passes understanding, a peace about the future that's secure for us and a peace Uh, in living out our everyday lives that's on display to make you look good. And when we're willing to share with people, Father, where that peace comes from, 
and where we found it. And, uh, and we glorify you because you're the God of peace and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Thank you for sending Jesus into our lives on that first Christmas day and every day since. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.